Welcome to Fill to Flourish with Luke and Lauren, where emotional health takes a stage and your story matters. We are thrilled to announce that Lauren and I are launching a global virtual therapy practice. We'll be specializing in trauma healing and brain retraining for those suffering from the effects of chronic stress and trauma in their bodies and minds. We'll begin seeing clients in May. So if you're interested, head over to our newly launched social media pages and our website, flourishtherapy.co, to learn more or join the waitlist. We'll be sure to put the links in the descriptions of this episode and share more information in future episodes. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode as we continue our series on uh, abuse. We are really, really thrilled to have a good friend of ours here sharing her story. This is Samantha. She is a single divorce mom of three kiddos. She's was a stay at home mom who turned businesswoman and uh, now works full time. She is a domestic violence survivor advocate and a survivor herself. She loves to spend time um, doing things that she really enjoys like singing, her voice is beautiful, running, hiking in nature, and spending time with her friends. These things are really life-giving to her. And we're just so thrilled to talk with her today and to hear from her heart. And we just know that this interview is going to be really meaningful for you, our listeners. So welcome. Great to have you, Samantha. Why don't we just jump in with your story and wherever whatever path you want to ravel out your story to share with us. We would love to be witnesses to that today. Okay. Um, Well, I was married for about 10 years. I, uh, my divorce finalized in, in August of this last year of 2021 started uh, December of 2019. So it was pretty long drawn out divorce process, very grueling at times, but I chose to divorce uh, because I, I learned in the last two, two and a half, three years of my marriage that I was in a very abusive marriage and, um, and it was the whole marriage. Um, However, I did not recognize that until, until I started going to counseling And I went to counseling, not for the purpose of abuse, but because I thought I was having um, a really hard time being a mother of of three kids. And I thought it was an ADHD thing. So I went to a cognitive behavior therapist saying like, I need your help and just can't do this. It's so hard. And so I went to a couple sessions and she said, she said to me, have you ever thought about separation from your husband. And I said, what? Like, why would I do that? And she's like, you come in here traumatized, you know, each week. So I think it was, you know, probably three or four sessions at that time. And I said, what? And I didn't understand. I was very confused. And at that, this was not, I, um, I have, I'm a Christian woman. And so at that point, I'm like, oh, she's not a Christian therapist. That's why she's telling me to separate. So I'm going to find a Christian therapist. They would not tell me that. No, no, no. (laughs) So, So then I went to my Christian therapist who actually I had been seeing her. I saw her a couple of years before that and, and stopped seeing her for whatever reason, but somehow we got linked up again, which was really cool because she was at a different, a different practice. But anyway, I went to see her And I started talking to her and I started sharing what was going on. And she said the same thing. Very, I mean, after like a couple sessions, after hearing what was going on and, but her, how she said it, um, eventually she said it like that, but she, it was when she said to me, she gave me words. So she said, Samantha, this is manipulative abuse. This is narcissistic abuse. She said, this is some of the most extreme narcissistic abuse I have seen in my office. And I see this a lot, especially where I'm from with the population of, I don't know if I could say this, like white, Christian, evangelical, patriarchal driven Christianity. It's just very, very popular where I live. 
And there is a lot of domestic violence in, in those walls, in those churches, sadly. So, you know, she gave me those words and it was when I was given those words that I really got to like, my eyes were opened. It was like this knowledge became, it was like the scales were just taken off my eyes and I, I could start seeing it. And also I could start researching it and I could start where, where I did not have words when, you know, when I would try to get help, I was trying to get help. I would share, oh, he's just so, he's just so mean. And they'd be like, well, what do you mean? And I was so confused because it's such a covert level of manipulation, of humiliation, of intimidation, of coercion that I did not have words. I did not know how to explain it. Um, I did not, I, and my, my brain, I like to, I like to uh, have this visual of like just my brain full of knots because when you're lied to so often and you're deceived constantly, um, it's like, you don't know what's reality anymore. And so my um, having the words to understand what was happening and, and this, uh, these, the idea of like narcissistic abuse, a personality disorder, and also just researching what that looked like and saying, oh yeah, that's exactly what happens. That is exactly my life. It was almost like those knots just kind of, it was like this, and that's the picture I have, like these knots just kind of just straightened out in my brain. And the more I learned and the more I understood, the more, the, the more strength I had to walk in courage and to be able to say, this is manipulation. And, and then at the same time, learn boundaries because I didn't have boundaries. I didn't, I was, I was just kind of, I'd accept everything because I didn't value myself. I didn't, I didn't know my value, you know? And so I had a lot of learning I had to do and a lot of untying and a lot of learn. Once I learned words, I was able to then set boundaries and say, if you continue to talk to me this way, I'm going to have to walk away and then have the courage to do that because I knew what was happening. I knew it was wrong. And so that's kind of uh, an overview of that. But what I needed to learn in that time as well, uh, when it was when it was pretty brutal, I was also looking at my childhood and trying to understand why. I was accepting of this behavior for so long. And thankfully, you know, when I was talking through it, my counselor was like, Amanda, you were conditioned, you know, as I was talking about my life and my childhood for, you know, maybe the first time, like seeing it for truly what it is and what it was. I just learned like I was conditioned to accept this because in my childhood, there was a lot of trauma. My little brother fell in the pool and drowned when I was um, about to be five. And my mom and I, we found him. And so I have my earliest memories of, are of my mom, you know, bringing my brother, jumping in the pool, bringing him through the kitchen. And, and just, I'll never forget, you know, thinking in my five, you know, almost five-year-old brain, Hmm, all that water is coming into the kitchen. What are we going to do? You know, those were my worries. And uh, I'll, I'll never forget her learning CPR with the 911 got, you know, person on the phone and remembering, oh, there's like my questions at that point where there's a fire truck. Why is there a fire truck? We don't have a fire. You know, so those are my earliest memories. I did not, I did not grieve my, the loss and those feelings and those memories, I did not allow myself to grieve that until this time of healing during this time of realization of the abuse in my marriage, because it was always, I'm, I'm an empath. I'm, I'm a feelings person. And so I was, and also I was given the feelings of my mom. You know, my mom put a lot of her, her grief on me. I was the like happy one in our family. I was the easy one. I my, my older sister, we, uh, she, she was uh, a lot like my husband. And so she was, she was tough. You know, she was, she was uh, not a very kind sister. And I, I have a lot of empathy because there was a lot of trauma that we both experienced. 
and we almost went different ways. I became littler and she became, she was given this role of protector because of the neglect of my family, of my, of our parents. So anyway, I'm kind of, I'm kind of all over the place. So after my brother, my parents, my parents got divorced. And then after that, it was my mom remarried my stepfather. My stepfather uh, sexually abused me one night. And I told my mother that night and he, his response to her was he fell asleep and she came and told me that, and we never talked about it again. Um, and, um, that caused a lot of confusion in my life. And when going back to my marriage, when there was, you know, abuse after abuse after abuse, and I was expected to, you know, have a sexual relationship with him and be coerced into that and be touched unwillingly, that I really got triggered that it was like those flashbacks from my childhood came back and they came back strong for the first time in my life. I'd never told anyone about it other than, other than my ex-husband. He was the only person I ever told. And I was very afraid. I was very afraid to tell them. My stepfather was a missionary pastor. He is, you know, he's always worked at church and, you know, very, very successful businessman um, who is highly respected. And I just was always confused. My thoughts, I mean, I almost had thoughts daily my whole life of, was he really asleep? Was he really asleep? And so when I started healing from that, or started talking about that with my therapist, it, 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 it was another source, all, all of this healing, all like talking about these things that were pretty shaming and, and living in reality. I think that's, that's one of the big things that like I li- I live and one of like my main core values is living in reality. And, and I think not talking about these horrible things that happened to me in my life kept me out of reality. And Mm -hmm. they kept me almost chained to, I don't know, chained to something that was not good. And so I started talking about that and, you know, talked to my mother about it. And her first reaction was uh, what I would expect it to be like, what do you mean? I don't remember that. And then uh, when I started, when the like, when I just continued to talk about the trauma and I said, you know, his hand at one point, I, I talked to my mom and like his hand went under my panties and she's like, I don't remember that happening. I'm like, well, what? I thought you didn't remember. And so Hmm. she did remember. And so that kind of also mimics my marriage. Like you did Hmm. remember it's too hard for you to talk about it. I'm sitting here sharing with you that I am struggling with my life with, with feeling capable to breathe right now and you couldn't like empathize with me or just like talk about this with me it's a lot of that neglect and the manipulation and and what almost invalidation and so finally she did start talking about it and or she was I think when she realized how much it had affected my life because she didn't realize that we never talked about it I never brought it up I was you know I I think when I was younger, I was just like, well, I'll believe my mom. You're supposed to believe your mom, you know, like you always believe your mom. And I did. And so, you know, I started working through healing from that and um, setting boundaries, even with my mom, because uh, I set that boundary with him, my stepdad, when it was, uh, when I started healing. And I think that was about maybe two to three years ago. And I just, I've decided for me, I will not communicate with him anymore because when I did start um, talking to my mom, um, his response, he wrote me a letter and he said, I'm sorry that you feel like that happened to you. And he said, I have always provided for you. I, I, you know, I would, I would never do anything to hurt you. And once again, that mimicked my marriage. 
uh, the gaslighting, the yeah. uh, validation, the, and so at the point when I had that letter, and I am so grateful for the timing of this, because when I got that letter, I was very clearly able to see with plenty of clarity, that's gaslighting. Mm. And that is not, that is not an apology. That is not remorse. That is, that's, that's not something that I can move forward with yes. for a for reconciliation. And so for me, I learned through this whole process, forgiveness is not reconciliation. So for yeah. me, I have, have had to learn to forgive without the reconciliation. And I feel great about that. I think reconciliation for me comes when there is a level of um, just owning our stuff. Like we are all, we all make mistakes. Like none of us are perfect. I've made plenty of them. And I think I have learned that forgiveness is for me and reconciliation is for us. And um, sometimes there's just, it's okay. I've learned it's okay for there not to be reconciliation. And, and that feels good, you know, mm -hmm. and I feel a peace about that. And that, that was a, that was a big learning experience in, in all of this. So, yeah. Uh, Samantha, thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for the gift of offering to us and your, our audience of your journey of the pain of your struggle, missing the gaslighting of being manipulated of trying of the lies that you've been told of what it looked like to be a good wife, to be a good daughter, to be a good woman and doing your best. And then when you're, I love the imagery of the knots just straightening out. Yeah. That's amazing. It's just such a great imagery. As you were talking, there's so many thoughts, emotions mm -hmm. going through us for you. I know you probably didn't feel this as you're going through this process, but just the strength, the courage, the bravery of relearning how to be you. I walk with, I work with people. I've done my own story. It not easy stuff. And what you're just describing in the midst of a not safe uh, season, you went into unsafety, like into the story, into the abuse. It sounds like your counselor was a place of safety, which is oh. amazing. But just that, that is so hard to do that healing work and process in the midst of not having safety. Yeah. And so the awe and uh, the, I don't know, there's not language strong enough. Yeah, I, just, I, I feel it too. Of it's how amazing. Immense. Of, of a woman you are to do this for yourself, for your daughters, I, for your kids. Um, she has a son okay. and two daughters, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, oh, you mean just for, for her daughters, like to model that. Right. Oh, I see. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Just what a gift and the amount of gaslighting that was going on in your life. No wonder there were so many knots in your, in your brain. Like, and then just for you, the, the clarity, like you said, the timing of the letter of just different things, the boundaries that you're able to set again, just, I'm, I'm amazed by, by the strength and courage of setting those boundaries of sayings enough, calling out the wrong. I, I just, I, I just don't, I just don't want to breeze over that as you're just sharing your story. I just want to, just acknowledge the gift of you sharing this, the way of, of what you've come through. Mm -hmm. It's remarkable. It is remarkable. And, and for you to be, to, to, you don't need to give your story to other people, but you are for, so that other people can learn. And I'm just so grateful uh, for you and, and your story. As you were sharing it, just jump in and just, yeah, share it with you. I, I know you have, there's more of your story and we're going to continue going on, but I just wanted to just to thank you. So I think it'd be helpful um, as you continue, how did you get from starting to have these knots unwind in your brain, starting to see things more clearly, fighting for that clarity 
to then making the decisions you've made to leave your marriage and to divorce your your ex-husband how did that play out well it took it took a long time I would say probably a year and a half uh, to two years maybe two years from when I realized what was happening until I finally decided it's time and that was at points excruciating like there, as, as much as um, there is strength now, I mean, there were times when I would get in my car after a counseling session and after I was already crying in counseling, get in my car, cry some more and just scream, like shrieking, yeah. screaming, because I did not realize how, how, how much trauma I had been holding in my life inside for my whole life. And it was, I heard once in a podcast, it takes courage to heal from trauma because you're choosing to re-traumatize yourself to heal. And that is exactly what happened for me. I chose, it was an an intentional choosing because I had to, like it was out of necessity. uh, If Mm -hmm. I wanted to live, if I, you know, if I wanted to survive, I needed to do that. I knew that. Um, and so it took, I read a lot of books. The I, I mean, I have my favorites. I have a Leslie Vernick's, um, what the emotionally destructive marriage, a Henry Cloud's boundaries, boundaries in marriage though, which I loved. The body keeps the score. Just, I mean, these books that I was, I was just devouring because I needed and, and mostly listen, a lot of listening too, because I just didn't have much energy. You know, it, it eventually there, uh, there came a point that it got, um, I'd, I'd also been going to a, a women's shelter for counseling. I was trying to go to my church for help, but that uh, my old church was a very toxic place. There were many, many women going to this uh, women's shelter who who go to that church. It's a big mega church. And uh, you're taught, don't go to counseling. You're taught, you know, just, just go to your community group. They'll help you, you know, don't emotional abuse is our, I was told our elders will not support a separation uh, if there's not physical abuse. So at that point, when I was told that I did not know, I hadn't been going to the women's shelter yet. So I didn't know that Um, the coercion sexually is physical abuse. Using the car and speeding in the car when you're screaming and yelling at me um, and going across intersections without stopping at stop signs on a busy, busy, busy street, the car is a weapon. That's physical abuse. Punching holes in walls right in front of me, that's physical abuse. So I didn't know these things. And so I felt at that point, very stuck at this church, like, like, oh, and, and you can't divorce. Divorce is absolutely out of the question. God hates divorce. That's a big thing. God hates divorce. And you believe the best. Those were like the, the sayings at the church. Well, believing the best is not living in reality when reality is abuse. That's not believing the best. We need to believe reality, like live in reality. Hmm. And in reality, that's abuse and people don't want to hear that. And so thankfully it was just kind of like acts of courage for me. I see it as God just kind of creating a pathway for me, um, a pathway out of abuse over and over and over and over again. And one of that was one of those pathways was a article I read that this woman uh, wrote that talked about you know, complementarian churches, just, I mean, churchy stuff. You say you're for the abused, well, show your cards. And I found out she was at a church that was like five minutes from me. And so I called there and I'm like, is this where this woman goes? And they're like, yeah, can we give her your information? Or how did you hear about her? I'm like, I read this article and they're like, oh, well, can we give her your information? I was like, okay, sure. And so they gave her my information and she emailed me and she said, I heard you, you know, read my article. Are you okay? Uh, do you have fine? Are you financially safe? Do you need finances? Do you need us to pay for counseling? Do you need anything? We, I would love to help you. This woman did not know me. She was the pastor's wife 
And at that point in time, as you're saying, like, how did I get out? I had learned very clearly what love looked like. So in my healing, there are two things and two things that I like to teach like women and they are what love looks like. I see it as God's love. I think anybody could see it as love and whatever, whatever you believe, I I see it as there are like these three or love is always protection, provision, and pursuit. So those three things I had learned and they became like embedded in my soul um, to see, okay, love is always protection, provision, and pursuit, never one without the other. So that's one thing that I teach. And then the other is like our value. And for me, that's my identity in Christ. Like, what does the Bible say about me? What does God say about me? But I think it's too, we could just say our value, whether you believe what I believe or not, it's valuing myself and learning. I am important learning. I do have a purpose learning for me. It was, you know, I was always told like, I just have, I just, I was the emotional one who actually wasn't emotional. I just shared my feelings. Um, And in my family, that was weakness. And so that was the message that the lie that I believed for so long, like I was weak because I was emotional or empathetic or I cared and really learning my that, like, that's just who I am. And that for me is, is it's valued. It's important. Our, we have so many gifts in this world and that is a gift that I was given. And it's important, just as important as somebody whose gift is their brain and they're making strides like what Bill Gates or, or, you know, their, their strength is their body and their physical body or their strength is whatever it is that to me is my strength. And I know now why I know because of this work that I'm in and because of, you know, the opportunity I have to sit with people um, who are in pain, that empathy for me has, has just, you know, I've, I've, I can see it now as value and I could see, I've had to learn, oh, I am valuable. Oh, I, I actually have this voice and, and it's really important that I use it. And it's really important that I, I steward these for me now, like stewarding my freedom, stewarding my peace, stewarding my, my time, uh, that has been really important for me. And I, I never did that before because I didn't experience peace. I didn't experience freedom. And now it's like, I don't want to get rid. I don't want to lose it. You know, I don't, I don't yeah. ever want to live. I don't ever want to go back to, to, you know, those chains of trauma. And, and that's not to say I don't, you know, get triggered. You know, there's, there. This is like a forever journey. I think yeah. when you've experienced, when you've experienced any kind of trauma, whether it's, you know, a little or a lot or whatever, trauma is trauma. Suffering is right. suffering. And anyway, sorry. To go back to your question, it took. Uh, there was an incident uh, one night where I had to call the police, and and uh, my husband was taken to jail for the night because of because of a family violence, a physical issue. And my pastor and his wife, they came over to be with me and my children. And after that, you would think, oh, she divorced him then, but I did not. Um, it took about another month of uh, my pastor helping, helping us mediate, thankfully, where at the old church, nobody wanted to believe me. Nobody saw it. New pastor believed me let's believe these women like who are not, you know, who are not making this stuff up, who might look crazy, quote unquote, crazy. It's trauma. You know, it's trauma. They're not going to come in and say, I'm abused, you know, Mm -hmm. like I'm being abused. Can you help me? Like that is never what it's going to look like. It's going to, it might not be pretty, but anyway, my pastor believed me and it was a huge blessing. And it also helped me feel safe and comfortable to, to find the words to explain that. Like when somebody believes you, I'm not trying to convince you. Like, you know, I don't have to because you believe me and I could very comfortably share with you mm-hmm. what's going on and ask for help. When really, I now know I did not need anybody to believe me to walk out like I think that is what, uh, hey, if, if I could have known this then, uh, that would have been really helpful for me, is that I don't need anyone to believe me to leave. I, you know, as I was learning to value myself, I didn't, uh, maybe I didn't value myself 
enough yet or whatever that is. No regrets. You know, it worked out how it was supposed to work out, but I needed, I thought I needed people to believe me and I didn't, I knew what was happening in my home and I knew it was happening in my marriage finally. And so I really could have walked out, but I think with, you know, what I had learned in church for so long, uh, there was a lot of unlearning that I was also doing deconstructing of my own faith. Actually, it was the pastor's wife who said, Amanda, do you think if, if you choose to divorce that God is not going to meet you right there? And man, that like struck me so hard. Of course, he's going to meet me there. You know, like my God who will never forsake me, you know, like, of course, he's going to meet me there. And so there's a lot of like, hesitation because I was afraid of, it was a big religious thing for me, which is just so wrong what I believed. And so I had to learn that, which it's okay. But eventually uh, about a month after uh, he was arrested, it just got bad. My pastor was acting as our um, mediator and my ex started yelling at him because he had lied to my pastor and he wasn't supposed to be, he was breaking a court order and using my pastor as the scapegoat for that, basically, and manipulating him. And so my pastor called him out because he's awesome. That's what we do, you know, like we expose and uh, he did not like that. And at that point, uh, my pastor was like, hey, you know, it might be a good time to talk to a lawyer, you know, just see, and he wasn't telling me to divorce, but just let's talk, you know, think you need to talk to someone. And at that point in time, it was, it was then that I was like, you know what, it's, it's time. It's time. Mm-hmm. It's only getting worse. And I have been trying for years, for years. And my ex has a lot of trauma. There is a lot of trauma in his life that I, you know, I was like, can you please get help. Can you please get help? And it's our own choice. You know, it's our own choice to get help or not. And sometimes when trauma is as bad as um, his is, I think it's, I think it was just too deep for him and too big for him. And so there was, there's a lot of empathy there, but once again, there's empathy with reality. If you don't choose to heal from that, I'm going to be the one with the consequences. If you don't choose to take responsibility, then a lot of times, other people have the consequences of that. Um, And so my kids were facing those consequences and I was facing those consequences. And so I had to, at that point, take ownership of my life and, you know, make the decision to divorce. And that was super scary. And I am, I'm at this point, I am grateful for, for everything that happened not, I'm not grateful for the trauma, but I'm so grateful for what that trauma uncovered in my life and the strength that I now have that I get to walk through life with and the peace and the freedom and the joy. And my kids are healthier. I think that was another fear. Like I'm going to just screw up my kids, you know, mm-hmm. uh, they're, you're going to be another product of divorce. I was a product of divorce and, um, my kids, I will say are healthier than they've ever been. And I'm so grateful for that. They've been in counseling since, I mean, even before the divorce and, you know, we've, we've worked through a lot and they now have a healthy mom who is not traumatized. And they also have a father who is there because, uh, when we were married, he would travel a lot. He wasn't home a lot. He wasn't present a lot. He'd stay at work as late as he possibly could raising three kids. I was basically a single mom with, you know, husband who would be home on the weekends and drinking and he'd have his earbuds in and he'd kind of ignore all of us. And, um, to now they have a father who has to be present. Mm. If he wants to be with them, he has to be present now. So as much as it's like, it's hard that I know that my kids are with him. He has to be present. He has 100% responsibility of those kids. So he can't be neglectful anymore. He can be, but I don't, I don't, I don't think he wants to lose custody of his kids. He, he right. loves them so much, you know? Yeah. Um, so I don't know. Wow. 
lot. It makes, I mean, it all, it makes so much sense. You make so much sense. And the way you just like unfolded that whole journey for us was really, really good. Like I'm just blown away by how much you could capture and all the different little um, There's so many gems in there. Things you said that I just picture people right now listening, like lighting up in their brains, like, oh, yep, yep, that, oh, oh, right. Oh, my goodness. That's why, like, those things just coming together for people. Yeah, with different things that we faced, even as you're talking, I am just the way you're communicating is giving a lot of clarity. And that is like, you know, that clarity means everything when you're in that confusion of the the chronic gaslighting and nothing's clear everything's foggy yeah i think clarity is one of those gifts that um people in abusive situations and abusive relationships long for they mm-hmm. just want to see reality and i loved when you said like one of my what did you say one of my um values is that the word you used is yeah is i think so being like rooted in reality. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I've never heard someone say that, but it make it, it is so, it's such an attractive core value because when we're rooted in reality, we can be integrated and authentic people. We're not, we're not living in, um, you know, either dissociation or denial. Mm-hmm. Well, this is too hard of a reality. So I'm just going to live in my little denial bubble over here. And in the meantime, mm-hmm. hurt a lot of people because of it. Um, yeah. And I just, I love your honesty with your story and compassion with your story. Like you don't say like I did everything right or that I saw everything right. Or I did the, it's just like, yeah, I believe this. And I should have left then, but I didn't because I had to relearn all these things. And that's just that, again, rooted in reality. But, there, and, but there's compassion with that reality of, yes, I maybe I wish I left then, but I didn't. But I have compassion because I understand why I didn't. There was reasons. There was um, trauma. And, and trauma stops us from being rooted in reality. Like It disconnects us from our bodies. Like Throughout your story, you're just... Like you learned how to not know your needs in order to survive. Yeah. Like as a kid, like I, I say this a lot on this podcast, like as a child, we were giving choices of have needs and lose relationship or, or have relationship and lose your needs. Yeah. And in order to survive as a kid, you have to lose your needs if that's, if you can get relationship. And in the idea of, is it me? That has, is the problem or is it my mom that doesn't love me? Oh, my mom loves me. So obviously I'm the problem. So I will have to adjust and become less of a problem so that we can get through this. And so of course, and so that you lived with that for decades before you were even married and into your marriage. And so this, that compassion of realizing like, yeah, I had to overcome all these things yeah. and that's okay. That's okay. And alongside of that, sorry, <laughs> alongside of that, go ahead. I don't think, I don't think I shared about my dad. So I shared about my mom. Um, and I want to, I want to make sure I share about my dad too, because there's a lot of, uh, trauma there. I don't know if, if that's as important. Well, I think it is. I think yeah. uh, if it's important to you, definitely. Go ahead. Yeah. And like, we might want to like bring this back. I don't know. I don't know how you want to do this. Um, but my dad, um, after my brother died, well, even before my brother died, um, he was, I would say there was like generational trauma on both sides of my family, my mom and my dad. My dad was sent, you know, to boarding school. His, he had a really, really crazy rough life, but he, um, after my brother died, he like went heavy into drugs and alcohol. I learned when I was in college that he told me when, when, when I was in college that, you know, he was going to kill himself and, I grew up, he grew up taking my sister and I to bars. So I grew up in bars. I remember seeing cocaine when I was seven. I found it in his car. I, uh, he would leave us with one of his friends who was a drug dealer to babysit us. And so like, I would see, like, I found, I found, I knew about drugs way too early. My innocence was gone when I was a child. And my sister, when I said she was like given this role of protector, he would uh, leave in the middle of the night and after we fell asleep 
and he would, you know, go out for all hours of the night and I would wake up and just have so much fear. So I, I, I was a very emotional person. I had a lot of worry. And so, um, you know, after everything that happened to me with my stepdad and then just, um, having this living with this fear when I was with my dad, I would be left. Like if we went to a carnival, he and my sister would do all those crazy rides and I was scared. Um, and so I would be by myself at night in a carnival in, and I would just live in fear or he would go and leave in the middle of the night and I would live in fear. And that was a lot of my childhood with my dad. We, my sister was, my sister was sexually abused by the drug dealer's brother one night. And we really stopped going to see my dad after that happened a lot. I mean, we'd still see him every once in a while, but he and my sister were very close. So they ended up living a very similar life and I did not live that life. Uh, so we weren't very, my dad and I weren't very close. And so there was a lot of, uh, there was a lot of like trauma there as well. You know, just not feeling, I think what you just said reminded me of that. Like just, I didn't feel valued. I didn't have a safe person to go, whether it was, you know, either side. And I always thought, oh, my, my mom is the safe one uh, because it was safer with her. It was safer with her, but mm -hmm. it was like, she was, you know, the what, lesser of <laughs> yeah. evils. And I'm not saying that they were evil. And yeah. I have, you know, we, we have my mom and I have, a, have done a lot of healing work and there, there are a lot of boundaries and a lot of explaining and a lot of teaching and loving and forgiving. And uh, we have really, really worked hard, hard on our relationship and it has come a long way. And I'm so grateful for that. And my dad and I, there's um, a lot of empathy. And one of the greatest things that I learned from my counselor, and I don't want to miss this because it was a really like light bulb moment for me in my healing, going back to healing from my childhood, I, I had so much empathy for my father that I would always say, oh, he didn't know any better. He mm. was given nothing. Like, it's okay. It's okay. He didn't mm. know any better. I love him so much. He didn't know mm -hmm. any better. And my counselor said to me, Amanda, yes, he didn't know any better. But then on the other hand, he, it was still wrong what he did. It was still wrong that he left you. It was still wrong that he brought you, you know, to bars. It was still wrong that this, and it's okay for us to have these two feelings at the same time. And I yeah. didn't know that, which that to me now is like, oh, it's so obvious. Like, of course, we have multiple feelings at the same time. But for so long, I was like, oh, I'm just, you know, it's just like that empathy that ruled me, but it also wasn't living in reality. The reality right. is, yes, I feel so bad for my dad, but he also like, it was also wrong. We have a responsibility to the people that we choose to be around in life, whether it's our children or our friends. I want to love my children by protecting, providing, and pursuing. I want to love my spouse by protecting, providing, pursuing. I want to love my friends by protecting, providing, and pursuing. And I want to love, you know, if I want to love people, that's what love looks like. And, yeah. um, you know, just, uh, yeah, learning all of that. I think, I think it's important to mention that relationship with my dad in this too, because, you know, a lot of, a lot of the choices that I made reflect what I was conditioned to believe was love. And right. I just had to unlearn and relearn like yep. what love is and that I am valued. And yeah. Yeah. And I think you, I, I said a great example of you having to choose, my, my dad has to love me. I'm the problem or, or I, have to, I can't look in that reality of dad made bad choices. Cause if dad made bad choices, that means dad's not safe. Dad's not good. Dad doesn't love me. And as a kid, we can't live in that reality. Mm -mm. And so you had to make a choice in order to survive, in order to make it, to adapt to that reality by not acknowledging that reality. Yeah. And that is just a, like you said, a pattern that prepared you for set you up, set you up for not living reality and other places throughout your story. Yeah. Um, another thing you said about going back to your pastor believing you when you told, said something. Yeah. I think that's really a key factor also, because like you said, 
a lot of people don't aren't believed and what i see is a lot of people like okay you're saying this happened so tell me how how did it happen you have to like prove to them that you're not lying but when you're traumatized your story is mixed up it's not because you're lying it's because you're traumatized mm -hmm. and you don't remember stuff because your brain is in survival it's actually not even taking on memories yeah and so when a abusee is telling you this is happening like it's so important for us to believe it because what do they have to what do they have to gain to say that i'm being abused seriously uh yeah and and to that i think it's so important for us to know if someone doesn't believe us we do not need to explain any farther mm. let's walk away let's set that boundary and if we do need help which i think i don't I think we do need help. I don't think yes. we're meant to do life alone. Go to someone else, yeah. go to someone else. And if they don't believe you go to someone else, do not give up. Like there yes. is help out there and go to a women's shelter. That doesn't mean you have to go live in the shelter. A lot of times they have counseling services or, you know, maybe a church isn't safe right now. That's yeah. fine. Like, yeah. don't feel like you need your pastor to believe you. Um, a lot of times they're just not going to believe you depending on where you live in America. Yeah. That might be the case. It, hopefully it's not. Thankfully, I'm, I'm so grateful that I found that. And there are some great, 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 great churches out there. I, I will not, you know, be an absolutist here. However, mm -hmm. like sometimes it is a counselor or um, a domestic violence advocate or yeah. calling, I, I would call the trauma hotline. I called the trauma hotline. I called um, hope for the heart, I think is another one. They have a trauma hotline an abuse hotline. Like sometimes we just need to talk to somebody who is informed, especially when we're in this like trauma mindset and yeah. somebody who knows about abuse. We cannot rely on people who might not be informed about abuse to help us. Right. Um, they just don't know. And like that said with empathy and with love, so yeah. happy for maybe somebody who thinks they might be able to help, but there is a whole, our brain is doing so much. Like you're saying, when we are experiencing trauma, sometimes it's helpful to talk to somebody who understands trauma um, yeah. because they understand what is going on. And they understand if we look maybe disheveled or, or crazier, like we, it, we are in crisis mode, there are people who have studied that who can sit yeah. there and just love on you because that's yeah. what you need at that moment to, to regulate or to just find safety or to whatever it is that your brain needs to do to calm and to find reality. And so if somebody doesn't believe us, just move on. Like, hmm. I think that's one thing I wish I would have known too. Like, just, it's okay. Yeah. Like, it's okay if somebody doesn't believe you. It doesn't matter. It's it's your reality. And if you need help, go find somebody who does. Let's not try to convince people. Like, yes. We don't need to do that. That do is that. such a good word. Yes. Like that needs an applause. Can we like push the applause button on our editing? <laughs> because <laughs> I am just blown away by the wisdom of that. Yeah. If you try and you see that there is that pretty quick a burden of proof is on you or they're they're questioning you can tell someone's someone's posture and energy you can tell if they're receiving what you're saying and if it's not there just move on by and find someone who gets it and who can be a safe place for you to settle in with that story and to receive what you need i just think that is so so powerful and if you think of women in these situations why often it takes years to have the the clarity enough to be like, okay, I'm, I'm done. I'm done trying to change a person who doesn't want to change. It takes years so often because the people that they're seeking support and counsel from are literally encouraging them to stay and to be more respectful and to be more loving more and supported. to give more sex and to do all of these things yeah. that are literally like pushing them to be abused further. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And more and more. Yeah. And, and, and I do want to, I do want to share, like, there is a level when we choose to walk away, when we choose to set a boundary, when we have not for so long, I think it's important to live in reality and to say it will cause ripples. It will mm -hmm. cause waves and it might get worse because here you have set no boundaries in your marriage. You have allowed everything. And when you start setting boundaries, the person who is receiving the boundaries 
on the receiving end of the boundaries, they're not going to be happy. Mm. And so it's, it, it will probably get worse. And at that point, it's really important that we open our eyes. And if it gets worse, please set boundaries and leave. Like, it's okay to leave. It's okay to take your kids. It's okay to say you leave. And if they don't leave, it's okay. You leave. Like, it, it, it does get hard. Like I could sit here and say, it's, um, I'm so happy on this side, but it got scary and it got hard. Um, and, and so I think it's important to, to, to just share that it might, it might not, maybe you're like, I set boundaries and, and it, it, they change. Right. I think that's the hope. And I think that's also what kept me. I had so much hope. Oh, he's going to yeah. change. He's going to, it's going to land what, you know, what, what uh, he's going to, he's going to go get help and he's going to do his work. And, uh, a lot of times that won't happen. Right. Um, sometimes it might, maybe you set boundaries and, and there could be a change. Um, a lot of times with narcissism, that's not the case. Yeah. And, um, I think it's, it's okay to live in that reality too. Like it's not, it's not going to happen most likely. How would you say, um, in your experience and the people that you've supported, how does a person know if the change they're seeing is genuine, like any tips for that? Cause like you said, hope drives people along thinking if the change happens, we can stay together and we can fix everything. How do you know if it's genuine change? I think there's a, one, there, there's like abuse is just this cycle. Like when you're living in it, you know when it's coming, you know what it looks like, uh, you know, you kind of get used to this cycle, right? Um, I think one thing that I learned and that like just one night, it just came in my, like there was a, a night that, um, there was a level of confession. My, my new pastor had my ex like challenge my ex to like, just write some things that he's sorry for that he has done like the, so that he could take ownership. And so he came to me with this list and I was like, Whoa, I was shocked. I was like, this might be, this might be a change, you know? Mm-hmm. And that night I remember it's like, I, I heard it. Like I heard it in my heart. Confession without repentance is manipulation. And mm. so we could say, you know, confession without change is manipulation. And that's exactly what that was. Nothing changed. And when it was brought up again, like, you know, you apologized for this, it was denied. I did not. I would, I, that didn't happen. Um, there was a lot of denial that didn't happen. You did not find bottles of alcohol in the, in the garage. Like that didn't happen. Like, just like, just these, like, um, you know, blatant, very clear Mm -hmm. lies. And so I think that's something that's like something that I really needed to be rooted in confession Mm -hmm. without repentance is manipulation. They Mm -hmm. can confess to manipulate because that's what they do. And so it's just being like rooted and grounded in reality again, like it, there's a lot of hope. And I think hope is what keeps us in in abusive relationships, right? Like they're going to change. It's going to get better. I don't, I don't need to get a divorce. Like it's going to get better. They'll see what I see. And it's just not a lot of times it's just not the case. And, um, it's sad, but you know, it's, it's reality. It's and, reality. Yeah. Yep. Another great gem confession without repent, uh, without change With- is mm-hmm. just manipulation. Yeah. There it is. Not what they say, but what they do, right? Yeah, yeah. Do your words match your actions? Do your actions match your words? And a lot of times uh, they, for me, they, I mean, with my marriage, they didn't. Yeah. And with these type of abusive, uh, narcissistic characteristics, they don't. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think from, from what you've experienced as a counselor for 10 years, you would echo what she's saying that most of the time, I would absolutely agree. And I think it was Patrick Weaver who works with narcissistic abusers. He's like, he says a hundred percent of the time, he's never seen a person and he's worked with, I think it was like 5,000 couples. It's like, I've never seen one change. And I was like, if if there's narcissism involved. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Which of course, someone who is narcissistic is not going to seek out a narcissistic diagnosis, a narcissist diagnosis. 
Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's such a oh, catch 22. So as you've uh, processed your story, healing from your story, separated, divorced, what has been life-giving? What is like, I know counseling has been healing, but like, what has been that part of you of what has helped that part of you come alive? That's seeking mm. out fun, uh, enjoyment, figuring out who you are again. Yeah. Mm. Um, so a lot of it has to do with my hobbies. I think I shared the singing thing. I think I shared that right. What I shared with you before. So I grew up singing. I started taking voice lessons in fifth grade and I'm so grateful I did because that was a huge part of my healing. Um, just being able to, I, I, my first voice teacher, uh, we would sing gospel songs. We would sing, you know, Whitney Houston, Whitney Houston and Mariah Carey are why I loved singing. And so I would sing their huge songs and I loved them. Well, come what, you know, 25, 30 years later, when I was like at the deepest levels of trauma and pain, when I was alone, like belting out a song for me, crying to the Lord, like just belting out a huge gospel song or, or a huge Whitney song, just to like, there's a huge healing element to that. The breath work that you're doing, the it's powerful to belt a huge song for me. And so what, what I never knew was going to be such a healing element of my life, like growing up and taking voice lessons and learning and practicing that art or whatever it is that to me has been very life-giving to just sing and to sing with my kids and like they love to sing and you know teaching them harmonies and teaching them um you know just just teaching them to just just be able to be freely sing that's that's been very life-giving for me and very healing also um hanging out with my girlfriends there has talk about not being alone. There is a group of us. I think there's about seven or eight of us who all have a similar story and we've all found each other. We are part of like just a life group. We all go to the same church. We all actually found each other. Some of us went to that same old church and uh, we hang out uh, and we, you know, we just have, we have fun. We have a lot of fun together and we spend time together. And I remember my first Christmas without my kids last year, we all had, we're all where we live. We all kind of have the same custody schedule. Like, so when you're on, when you're off. And so our first Christmas, when we were all newly divorced, um, we got to spend it together and we got to watch, you know, stupid movies together and order, order in some, you know, food and eat candy and cry and laugh and just be together. You know, there, I, I, I didn't ever imagine that I would have like, I would have that. It was, it was scary. And, um, here I see it as God's provision you could see it for whatever, you know, whatever you believe, but man, like just, just kept meeting people, just kept meeting these women. And now we just kind of get to, you know, we, we hang out with our kids on the weekends. Our kids love each other. And I don't know, it's just, it's been really life-giving and it's like a family, right? Yeah, it is a family, especially where I'm from. You know, I'm, I don't live where I grew up. And I do feel like I have a family here of like of sisters and it's, it's just been, it's just been really life-giving and really sweet. Um, it's a precious gift to have them. Mm. And I also do a lot of running. So that's been life-giving. I like to run and that it's been very healing too. I learned about tapping like a type of uh, therapy and where you tap like on either side of your body to stimulate, you know, both sides of our brains. And I think running for me has been very therapeutic and I, I just really, I really enjoy it because um, sometimes I just need to run, you know, sometimes <laughs> I'm feeling like triggered or, or anxious, yeah. just running really, really helps me, you know, yeah makes so much sense as we're learning more about like uh, Peter Levine's like somatic expression of that sympathetic energy of triggers and sometimes our body if it's like a, a, a flight energy we need to move our legs and if we it's a fight energy we need to move our arms and we have to express that 
energy that our bodies are saying, hey, there's a threat, do this. And we yes. learn not to do that, but you're intuitively learning, just intuitively being in reality, getting in touch with your body, knowing what your body needs, and you're just expressing it. That's this uh, beautiful healing process that your, your body knows. Because um, then it has the, your body has the chance to complete um, this is how Levine describes it, complete the trauma cycle. And then the trauma doesn't get stored. Mm -hmm. And so that's like, so cool that you, yeah, instinctively love that feeling. And it feels so much about healing, like people think is so complicated. And of course, there is a lot of complexity to it, but also learning to like, get back into your body and do what intuitively feels um, right we're instinctual beings, you know? Yeah. And so even the singing, I'm thinking yeah. singing is vagus nerve work. Mm -hmm. Like singing is a deep um, toning of the vagus nerve, which creates a stronger parasympathetic access for us in our bodies, which is the rest and digest the, the peace calm, like all that the recovery, the recovery part mode of our body, of our nervous system. And just hearing the things and then being with people and realizing attachment can be good and meaningful and connection can be safe. Like all of these things you're doing are so the DNA of what recovery looks like. And you're just a rock star. <laughs> I was just thinking about like with your kids, the, the gift that your kids have of having other kids that have a similar experience, mm. like as they get older and they're able to not feel alone, be able to talk to them, to each other about it. Um, what a cool gift that they have that's been provided for mm. you, for not just you, but also for your kids and your friends' kids. But yeah. Yeah. It's a huge gift. Yes. Well, as we wrap up, I'm wondering you've, you've answered all of our questions in your story. Yeah. Like that was remarkable. But I'm wondering, are there any other things you would like to say to someone who is, is you a few years ago and are probably even more than a few years, but when you were starting to connect the dots, the knots were starting to unravel, what would you say to people in that situation now? What kind of encouragement would you give? I think, uh, one of my like mantras during it all was, and I had to learn this. I didn't, I don't know if I believed it in the beginning, but like I can do hard things mm -hmm. um, because it, it's, it's, it's like, that is like what kind of what you're saying. Like, it's so simple, but it's the fear of the unknown, I think kept me from uh, doing what needed to be done way before. And I, I don't think I had enough courage. And once again, like everything needed, needed to happen as it did. And I'm grateful for, for how it, um, unwound. Mm -hmm. did unwound. Um, <laughs> I think just like you can do hard things and, and there will be help. You will not be alone, whether mm -hmm. it's, uh, through lawyers or counselors or pastors or trauma hotlines or, um, friends who have already been divorced or, you can do hard things and there's no shame in it. I think, I think one, one, one thing I also did learn, um, cause I would say, oh, I shouldn't, I shouldn't have done that. Or I shouldn't have said that, you know, I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have this or whatever. My, my counselor told me, um, you know, stop, stop shooting yourself, you know, like, <laughs> like, because should is, it's like a black and white, shame it's like a shame game it's just shame yeah. and being able to to kind of have compassion like have compassion with yourself you will not get it right especially when we're living in trauma like it's going to take a little while it's going to take time but value value your safety value the freedom that you have value the peace that you have so that you can walk in courage to find safety like that that needs to be um, in my opinion, safety needs to, um, safety is a need. It's a necessity. Yes. I'm sure, you know, y'all know like the basic needs, the four basic needs, 
Mm-hmm. Like safety is one of them. I don't even know what it's Ma, called. Ma, I think you're talking about Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Yeah. Is, is yeah. that sound in the bottom, yeah. the very foundational one? Yeah. Yeah. And and I had no idea that that was so important in life because I didn't have that. That wasn't yeah. that wasn't a part of my life. And so just kind of learning like safety is really important. Mm-hmm. No matter what you believe, safety yeah. is really important. Yeah. And just like getting getting that like learning that to, to our core. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I would, I would hope that, that that would be received, like just to value your safety and be courageous and you can do hard things. Mm. That is a good truth yeah, to end is. on. Um, so audience, thank you for being with us. Samantha, thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for being with us today and just being so vulnerable and just sharing your experience and giving so many, so much encouragement to other people that may be going through those similar experiences. So it's just been a blessing to have you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for giving me an opportunity to share this, this story. You know, it's not very pretty, but it's a story of healing and I'm grateful for that. Yes. It is. Yes. And this, this world is just full of not very pretty stories, but beautiful people living out these raw, um, just never ideal, never the way we thought our lives would look. And yet finding ourselves amidst these stories that, you know, we have limited options and you've chosen the path of I'm going to still matter. I'm going to still have a life. I'm going to recreate a, a beautiful life for myself and my kids. And just the abundance, uh, even just talking to you and seeing like your peace and your groundedness and joy is visible. I wish that yeah. people could hear this is just audio for the podcast, but it's visible. Like it's, you've done so much of this hard work. I think I would love for people to, to hear that in this abuse series. Like you've said, Samantha, this is, you have to go through a lot to come out on the other side, but there is another side. There is, oh, yes, and it, there and is. it and might take so years, it. but it's yeah. so worth it's it. So worth it. Yes. Yeah. And you are just a living, living, breathing testimony of life on the other side. And it is absolutely amazing. Mm. So thank you again. Thank you everyone for holding space for Samantha's story. And we just hope that you, um, with this information again, like our, our other episodes, please be mindful about how you proceed with this information. Make sure that you get good counsel, that you are, that you have a plan. If you plan on confronting anyone with their abusive behaviors, Make sure that you have a plan and that you have supports in place so that safety is prioritized. And we look forward to talking with you on our next episode. While it is a joy to provide our podcast content as a source of life enrichment, please note that information shared is not intended to replace or contradict any professional therapy or medical advice.